Hello, and welcome back to the Healthcare Leadership Mindset. I'm your host, Yolanda Gonzalez. My guest today is David Kies, who's the Director of Administration and Finance at Brigham's Health, located in Boston, Massachusetts. In this role, David serves as a Senior Advisor to the President of Brigham and Women's Faulkner Hospital, the Senior Vice President of Surgical and Procedural Services, and the Chief Financial Officer at Brigham's Health regarding strategic and operational initiatives. In this episode, we discuss David's healthcare journey, resources you can tap into to stay up to date with the latest healthcare news, and advice for those starting off in a healthcare career, whether that's an administrative fellowship or another role. I first met David when we started our respective fellowship programs back in 2017, and it has been great seeing him grow in his career. In a short period of time, he's led a board-level financial approval process for a new $250 million inpatient building. He's managed a perioperative leadership group responsible for overseeing strategy and investment for the surgical services enterprise. And on top of that, he's in the service of growing future healthcare leaders in his role as program director of the DLAND Administrative Fellowship. There's a lot that I learned from David in this conversation that I know you will too. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. So David, welcome to the show and thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled that you asked and I'm excited to talk to you. Great, likewise. So let's just dive in and can you tell me a little bit about your journey? What made you decide on healthcare? Absolutely. I mean, what other profession do you have <laughs> where you can you can, you know, impact patients and have a big impact on the communities that you live in. Um, I grew up in Rochester, New York, a Kodak town, um, and we used to go to kind of the baseball games mm-hmm. and the soccer games, and growing up we'd see a lot of Kodak ads and whatnot. Um, and as Kodak started to fade away, we saw those ads being replaced with University of Rochester Medical Center and Strong Memorial and Rochester Regional Health, and I started to see the, the impact that these big healthcare institutions had in the community, both the economy and in the wellness of the communities that they served. And, and so I really kind of wanted to follow a path into healthcare. Um, and like, like many folks, I wasn't sure, do I go try to practice medicine or something in that realm, or, or do I go on to the administrative side? And um, when I graduated from college, I was uh, doing two jobs at once. I was a, a medical scribe in a busy emergency room department, and at the same time, I was working for an, an individual practice association, which was kind of a legacy of the HMO system of the 90s. And I found that I really enjoyed that aspect, the business side, and I saw that the problems we were seeing in the emergency department mm-hmm. were really being created well upstream based on the incentives that were set in the policy and the financial reimbursement. And I thought, oh, this would be, this would be a, a really interesting thing to dive into and tackle. And that's why I kind of went Uh, into administration, and that's what keeps me going today. Thanks so much for sharing that. One of the things that really stands out to me is how you talked about how so many issues maybe came from more upstream and how that really guided you into this field of healthcare administration where I feel like you have the ability to impact some of those issues as they're kind of starting out and be able to actually influence and make changes to, to improve the healthcare delivery system. So your role is defined as a director of finance and administration. Like how would you explain your day-to-day responsibilities for someone? Absolutely. So um, 
the finance administration, I really, it's a split a bit. Um, so on the finance side, I'm really interested in value-based care and what we're doing around you know, managing our populations of care. And I work with our chief financial officer to try to understand this and to tell the story about how our clinical operations are uh, translated into operational uh, metrics and financial outcomes so that we can continue to invest in our, our patients and in our mission. Um, the administrative side, um, I work with our Senior Vice President of Surgical and Procedural Services, David McCready, who's also the President of Brigham and Women's Faulkner Hospital. Um, and I spend a lot of time with our perioperative um, leadership group, which is our, our Chair of Surgery, Chair of Anesthesiology, many uh, of the perioperative leaders. Um, and over the last few years, particularly during COVID, this has been um, taken a lot of time and been really interesting to, to manage our um, strategy around our operating rooms. We've got 64 ORs across the Brigham Health family. We do over uh, 40,000 surgeries a year. Um, and that can be anything from figuring out how we allocate time in those ORs for our surgeons to get in there and take care of patients how we allocate resources and, and do innovative things like robotic surgery, um, and how we really try to, back to the finance side, uh, drive down total medical expense, lower our costs, improve our access for our patients. So it's a, it's a uh, smorgasbord of responsibilities, um, but I really enjoy the work. I love it, and I one of the things that I was thinking about that we're working on is expanding care out to the community. Mm -hmm. Have you ever done that type of work? And what are some of the skill sets that you use to encourage both patients and maybe even your own like surgeons to go out into the community to provide these services? This is one of the most important and challenging things we face, right? Is how do we get the, the care in the right location for our patients? One of the roles that I enjoy is uh, my role as the service line administrator for orthopedics. Um, and in that role, about uh, two or three years ago, um, David came to me and said, we've got the best orthopedic surgeons in, in Boston, in the country. These are leaders in academia. These are leaders in clinical care and innovation. Um, but there are some barriers in the way of, of them being able to treat patients. Let's, let's get rid of those barriers, let's, let's jumpstart this, and let's get moving on this. So mm -hmm. we created the Center for Joint Health and Mobility, um, and that's really focused around how do we take care of uh, joint replacement patients um, at the right side of care. Uh, and for us, that means we should be taking care of uh, lower acuity patients at Brigham and Women's Faulkner Hospital, which is in the community. It's convenient for patients to get in and out of. Um, and for those more complex patients, we want them to come to Brigham and we want them to have access to the Brigham resources here in the Longwood area. Um, and, and as a result of that, we've actually driven down our costs. We've increased our access. We've shortened our length of stay. And so we're, we're executing that triple aim of you know, improving quality, improving access, and lowering cost. Um, and it's been really uh, fun to be a part of that group. Uh, I mean, just an amazing team of operations, uh, forward-thinking surgeons, um, and leadership who, who has executed that. Um, and, and my role was really just to, to get everyone in the same room and start the conversation, which was, which was really a fun role to play. That's amazing. 
I think in this case, the outcomes speak for themselves. And when people start seeing results, they're more than likely to want to jump in and, and you get that buy-in and it works out both for our staff, our you know surgeons, and also for the patients that are out in the community. So I really love that you shared that example. In your role, you work with multitude of staff in different areas. Is there a certain project that sticks out to you as one of your favorite projects that you've worked on thus far? Uh, let me talk about an area which I think is overlooked and to be honest I, I wasn't aware of before I started working in the periprocedural areas and that's our central processing department. Um, if you've ever been in a hospital, especially a large uh, urban hospital like the Brigham, um, it, it's hard to find because it's literally a city underneath our, our institution. You have to take a separate elevator just to get down there. And yeah. this is where they clean all the, uh, the surgical instruments. They clean the instruments, they sterilize. The, there's lots of um, hard, challenging work in those areas. And we have staff down there that work incredibly hard. Um, and it's, it's an area where there's a lot of focus there's a lot of opportunity for error, and so how do you prevent that error on a massive scale? Like I, I said, you know, we have a lot of ORs, a lot of surgeries, and these folks who work down there are critical. They're the, you know, the surgery cannot go on without them. And so being able to work directly with them, going down, visiting, seeing how that workflow is laid out and um, what their challenges are and how we address them, um, it's been, it's been eye-opening and it's been uh, a really, uh, there's a great hard-working team down there and I don't think they, they get the credit that they deserve and I think that it can be hard to understand the work that they do sometimes. Um, and so that's one area that I've enjoyed. I love that response because so much of what happens at the hospital tends to be behind the scenes. It's almost like we take that for granted sometimes. So I love that the project example that you highlight really hones in on, you know, people that are working behind the scenes to make sure that our patients are getting the, the, the care that they need. They're so important. I mean, yep. we could not execute this mission without um, uh, that whole team and their they're just, um, they're, it's, a great, it's a great team, and I, I wish that they got more credit. So healthcare is one of the areas where I feel like I'm constantly learning something new. So I'm really curious to hear from you. What are the top one to two lessons that you've learned so far that you wish you would have learned earlier on in your career? One of the top um, lessons I've learned, I think, is to be an effective healthcare leader there's a breadth of knowledge that you need outside of just the immediate healthcare sphere um, that's really important. And you need to be able to tap into the right resources um, and in order to kind of drive the organization forward. So for example, um, you know, not only do we provide lots of clinical care, but we're a major investor in the stock market. Mm -hmm. And if the stock market goes down, you know, that impacts our ability to reinvest in the mission. We're also uh, a real estate, um, we own a ton of real estate in the Boston area, a very dense city, um, and and we lease real estate all over the city, and and um, it's expensive, and mm -hmm. it's important to make sure that our, our teams have the right place to work. Um, and we do business, you know, both nationally and internationally, so when you think about politics and the international scene of, you know, um, what's going on in, impacting other parts of the world, it's, uh, it's really important to kind of be able to, to, to 
tap into the right resources um, to move the work forward. Like for someone who's starting out and wanting to find out more about different resources or different mm. areas that the hospital is engaged in, what would you recommend that they dive into or what resources they look to to find out more? The most valuable resource we have is our people. And so the more that you can have conversations, conversations like this where you're connecting yeah. you know, across <laughs> the organization to just talk through these topics, uh, that's, that's the best thing because um, there are topics out there that you had no idea people were thinking about in healthcare institutions until you sat in the room and, and heard about it. And so I think that those relationships and, and having close mentors and confidants that you can be open with about these issues, um, that's, that's really important. You know, the first thing that came in my mind was, oh, you know, I kind of look to um, articles that may mm -hmm. come out, that, but there's a huge untapped resource with the people that we work with on a daily basis and people who we've met either through our education or through other networking events that you can definitely reach out to to, to get information on. So um, I hope that the listeners take that and apply that within their within their day to day. And the uh, the articles, the the newspapers, that's that's table stakes, right? That's yeah. uh, that's <laughs> I, I do the same thing. It's it's great um, to be part of those listservs to to see really what's happening uh, both yeah. in the healthcare space and in those other spaces that probably are impacting healthcare on the periphery. I have to ask, do you have a particular? magazine or podcast or <laughs> trying to think of other resources like are you involved in professional organizations or societies to kind of um, find those resources absolutely I'm a big podcast fan so I'm, I'm you know very <laughs> excited to be here with you today <laughs> this is my first podcast but I listen to podcasts awesome. uh, when I bike or, or walk yeah. to work every morning a couple in the healthcare space that I really like a healthy dose is one that I really okay. enjoy, um, and it's actually a, a, a couple of venture capitalists uh, who are in the healthcare space, um, and I think it's interesting to see how how they kind of look at healthcare. And so some of these companies we have a lot to learn from. And so where can we go look for solutions outside of our own four walls and uh, partner with folks to to drive you know better care for our patients. That's so true. Um, I'm curious to hear your take on either how the COVID, COVID pandemic impacted your work and what you hope, um, what you saw happen during the pandemic that you hope actually ends up sticking around within healthcare. Um, I talked a little bit about that split between finance yes. and administration at the beginning. Uh, during COVID, it was really surgical and procedural. Um, and it was a challenging time yeah. because we had to shut down our operations uh, on the surgery side to preserve PPE, to redeploy staff, um, and to make sure that, that COVID patients who were uh, coming into the hospital had the resources that they needed to, uh, to receive care. Um, and so it was an interesting time because uh, the, the regulations that were the guidelines that were coming out were changing on a, on a weekly basis. It, they used this term elective surgery, which I think was a bit of a misnomer. The patients that we take care of are really sick. They've got cancer diagnoses. They've been waiting. They're in a lot of pain to come in and receive their surgery. And so we, we were forced into a position of making really difficult calls about how to, um, how to take care of patients in the uh, surgical and procedural areas. 
Um, but one of the things that was great, one of the things that came out of this was uh, the collaboration both you know, at the hospital level here at the Brigham, working with our inpatient teams, understanding what resources they needed and where we could provide those resources, um, as well as with MGH and Faulkner and Newton Wellesley Hospital um, and all the hospitals around Mass General Brigham to make sure that we were approaching these things in, in a similar way so that we had s the same protocols and that we had um, structures in place of, for prioritizing patients um, and we were sharing best practices. And so where in the mm -hmm. past, you know, those types of decisions might have taken, taken months or even years, you know, they were happening on a weekly basis and we were able to, to you know, not always make the perfect decision, but make a decision and then if, it, if we find out it was the wrong decision, go back and change and, and really a quick iterative uh, process. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I think that the pandemic forced us to change the approach, as you mentioned, whereas sometimes we tend to take a long time to get to a decision. Things were changing on a daily basis, if not even like within an hourly basis during the pandemic, that it really made us think of like, okay, we just have to try this and let's assess how it goes. And great, if it works, let's keep it. If it doesn't, then like, let's go back, revisit and make improvements. And I really actually do like that approach. I think that there's, I hope to see that it sticks around. Yeah. And it was fun as an administrator because the, the challenge was to um, take the complexity. There's so much complexity and uncertainty and to simplify and structure, right? Because mm -hmm. um, as administrators, you know, we don't have the clinical expertise to make the decisions, um, but we can shepherd the process so that it's transparent in the way that we're making the decisions and that people feel involved. Um, and that that is something that I think um, I had a sense for, but really during COVID was highlighted uh, in the way that we um, led the organization. Yeah, if there's something that comes to my mind, COVID really made us prioritize what was most important. Uh, yes. <laughs> so for someone in your position, I'm curious to hear about how you prioritize and what is on your priority list right now. Yeah, um, so having, again, I think a lot of this goes back to the relationship. So having one, the trust in, in your the team that you're working with um, and in your mentors and your leaders to understand where the organization's going and where you should be focusing is really, really important. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the first step. Um, and then where are there opportunities to make quick decisions that uh, improve care for patients, right? Mm -hmm. And so where you can make life easier for the staff and where you can focus um, and, and solve problems that are, yeah. are coming up for our surgeons or our, our physicians or our CPD staff, you know, that's, that's really uh, where I try to spend spend my time and and um and then from a system perspective you know what excites you right yeah. and so i try to make sure that i've got a little piece of that in my portfolio and what i'm i'm focused on it right uh you know i i started by talking about kodak and mm -hmm. and i think that the value-based care and really um how do we how do we make access available for our community um and how do we take care of patients and and uh, everyone in our region is uh, something that's important to me, and so that's why I try to keep that uh, top of mind in the work that I do. 
That's awesome. One of the things that I've noticed is, you know, when you looked on LinkedIn or when you look on social media, a lot of times you tend to see the achievements and the successes <laughs> that people have had. And I think a lot of those um, challenges or mistakes that we have made in our careers, I'm happy to share plenty of mine, um, those don't necessarily get broadcasted. Mm. So I would love it if you could share an example of something that has not gone according to plan and what you learned from it. Oh boy, I mean, I get, <laughs> You're so, like, which example can I pull Yeah, from? exactly. No. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll go to one outside of, um, in, in one of my previous roles, which was down when I was working in D.C., I was working at the American, um, uh, the American Academy of Physician Assistants, and we started a little consulting farm within mm -hmm. the company uh, that worked with hospitals, and we went out to hospitals and, and tried to teach how, them how to... Um, how to best utilize PAs and NPs and bring them to top of license. It's yeah. really important work. Yeah. Um, and we were working really hard and we thought that we had the best product there, you know. <laughs> we just had all the resources <laughs> aligned to really drive the work. Um, and I think what we found was we were a little early to the market. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and when you, we never quite got to the point where we were integrating the PAs and NPs and the story around how important that part of our, our team is mm -hmm. with the organizational mission and the, the challenges that hospitals face to really get it to, to the top of their minds. And so, um, you know, it was a great learning experience, um, but it never quite took off the way we were hoping. And so it's something I reflect on. But it actually, I think, has become one of, I don't know if it's a, one of our systems priorities, but I know it's definitely a hospital priority to really look at the advanced practice providers that we have oh, yeah. throughout the system and bring them up to the level of their license that they should be working I mean, at. They're amazing. Yeah. And at Brigham, we have 400 across the system uh, wow. right now, and I'm sure that there's yeah. even more at Mass General. And so, um, you know, it's something I, I always, I want to go back at some point. I want to transition a little bit to your experience within the administrative fellowship here at Brigham because I feel like there's a lot of listeners that are either in the process of applying to uh, or thinking about applying to administrative fellowships who um, may already be accepted to a fellowship and going to be starting soon or you have someone who may be completing their fellowship now and kind of thinking about that next step so I'm really excited to dive into this. For those that are unfamiliar with the D-Land Administrative Fellowship, can you provide an overview about the program and why someone should consider applying? The D-Land Administrative Fellowship, it's a one-year leadership development program here at Brigham. Mm -hmm. um, and we're really looking for um, talented individuals who have a vision for healthcare and want to learn how to execute that vision mm -hmm. um, and so it's it's a one year it's a quick year mm -hmm. it's program um, uh, it's it's project based so uh, you'll see as you're researching fellowships some are rotational based some are project based um, and so this one's a project based which means you go out we, we mm -hmm. open the door to the organization and we want you to run through it and go uh, get involved um, and and we have had such fantastic mm -hmm. 
uh, inspirational fellows who have come through the program and continue to really lead across the system here um, at BWH and at Mass General Brigham. Um, and it's, I think it's a great experience. It was for me, and it's one of, um, I think, probably the most impactful thing that I've done is have a small role in bringing in new folks into the organization through the fellowship. So I really, uh, really enjoy it and am honored to kind of be the director for the program. Yeah, I was like, I want to make sure that listeners here, like you, you took on the role as program director. And so I think you have such a unique perspective, not only of just being a fellow, but now actually kind of see this, you know, next generation of healthcare leaders come through. So thank you for all the work that you're doing in that. If you could give advice to someone, and I'm going to break it down into three phases of the process. So for someone who is applying for an administrative fellowship, what is your advice to that person? For someone who is applying, you know, um, we get excellent applicants here, right? This is Boston, so I can say that the applicants we have are wicked smart. Um, they're hardworking and they're high achievers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what separates people is really, we want to see that vision and that enthusiasm to, to chase it. We're, we're looking for leaders who are actually going to change the way, not just talk about it, but actually going to change the way that we deliver healthcare in this country. Um, and. Uh, uh, we're lucky to have many of those leaders who have come through the program and, and are doing just that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I when you mentioned that you have fellows that go on to, to grow into these leadership roles, we had um, Dr. O'Neill Britton, who yes. was over at uh, Mass General and now is at um, Mass General Brigham in a leadership role. And so he was absolutely, like, to your point, was able to go into a room and really not just be able to talk about things, but you could see it in the work that he was involved in, just making changes across our organization. And I'm excited to see what he has in store for the system that both you and I fall under today. And yeah, I agree. I think that having that passion, I mean, even when I'm talking to you, I can tell you get so excited about healthcare (laughs) and I love it because you really do have to have that um, energy and that passion to be able to come in because it's not always easy and sometimes you have those hard days where you're like all right like let me pull back into that reserve and like what's you know what is at the core driving you to do what you do in healthcare it's challenging work it's it's really challenging work but i would uh, challenge uh, anyone to find more impactful work i you know during covid we were all working like mm-hmm. around the clock right and um i remember talking to our fellows uh, coming in, who were coming in, and I mean, we're talking 16-hour days, you know, pretty consistently, and um, f- somebody said to me, you know, there's nowhere else I would rather be, though, right now. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the work that we're doing, especially during COVID, you know, there's nowhere else that we would rather be, um, and I thought that that was, a, that's something that I've come back to and really said, okay. Uh, this is important work, healthcare, and, and whether it's in a hospital or at a tech company who's developing solutions for patients, there's lots of different ways to be involved, but um, I think that that's, uh, that's so uh, important. You want to be surrounded with the work and the people that drive you to do what you do every yeah. day. Um, and so moving on to the next phase of the process, <laughs> 
What would you say to someone who has already been accepted and say they have a fellowship that's going to be starting mm -hmm. over the summer? Be bold and keep your eyes open, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that there's a uh, an instinct for um, many of the new fellows who have, you know, really been high achievers who are really used to getting things done and doing things quickly and delivering results, yes. right? Um, and it's tough those first few months to say, really, your job the first two months is to sit back and learn and talk to people and understand where the organization's headed. And so I think taking that pause um, to really say, okay, this is a chance for me to uh, understand where I'm interested in where I'm interested and who I want to work with over the course of the year is important during those first few months initially going into the fellowship and then finding you know those little tidbits where you can provide value and can execute on some things you know that's always important and fun but there's going to be lots of opportunities to do that so don't shortchange yourself on the opportunities to really meet and uh, develop relationships with people. Yeah, I'm going to throw my uh, one piece of advice in there too. So <laughs> I when you said that it, it you know, I was thinking about when I first started, and when you have people who are high achieving, wanting to deliver results, things so uh, we kind of come in with a sense of like, oh, I have to know it all. Yeah. And really, it's reminding yourself that that's not it at all. You're really coming in as a sponge and you're soaking in information and asking questions. So, you know, my piece of advice would be, you know, make sure that it's okay to not know it all. I would ask more questions there's and really just try to soak in all of the experience absolutely that's great yeah and at the very last phase you know as we start wrapping up our conversation when someone is approaching you know as i'm sure some of the listeners are approaching the end of their fellowship and are now starting to look at that next job or what's going to come post fellowship what would your advice be as they're looking to see what role is going to be the best fit for them. It's um it's something that we talk about a lot with our fellows because it is a challenging transition. You're going from being in the C-suite essentially, you know, mm -hmm. even uh, sitting in the room with the folks to kind of going back and saying, okay, now I need to almost start fresh. Mm -hmm. um, and so finding work and finding a role that excites you is important. Uh, it's important that you're connected to the work that you're doing um, and that you're doing well um, in the work that you're doing. So I, I, I think that, um, you know, looking for roles and looking for opportunities where there's a potential to grow, um, but that, like, you're really excited about getting up and coming in and doing this work, um, that's the most important thing. The thing I'll also say is it's important to think about who you're surrounding yourself with. And so um, I'm kind of of the mind that you don't, pick a job, you pick a boss, and I've got, you know, two really fantastic bosses, both in, you know, David McCready and Chris Dunleavy, who have been amazing mentors to me, mm. um, and who I learn from every single day, um, and so that that was the most important thing for me coming out of the fellowship, um, and I continue to, to learn from them um, as I progress. That's great. Having mentors, having bosses, I, I, that's one piece of advice that was given to me when I was going through the job search, and it's something that has always stuck with me because 
if you have the right boss and you have the right people surrounding you, a lot of times you get to go in and create that job description for yes. yourself, right? If you wanted to add a component to your work, being able to communicate that to the person that you're working with, they'll find a way to put that into your job description yep. at some point. So I really love that you gave that piece of advice. For listeners who may not get an administrative fellowship, what is some advice that you would offer them for them to still be able to get their foot in the door and grow in their careers? Our institutions are teaching hospitals, right? And so anyone who comes in to, you know, and I would say healthcare broadly is just mm-hmm. a profession that's eager to teach and, mm-hmm. and continuously learn. And so if you can find a place um, to come into the institution, folks are, I've found folks are more than willing to have meetings and mentor and pull people in. So really seeking those opportunities and being bold about asking people uh, for, for generosity of time, um, I think is, is worth it for um, folks who, who might not have a traditional fellowship experience, but uh, certainly can craft something for themselves. The other thing that I think uh, is important or is uh, valuable, and I've seen lots and lots of people do this, is they find a piece of unique value that they can offer to the organization. So it might be um, a facility with data where they're able to pull data and answer questions faster and, and more thoroughly than anyone else. Or they might be excellent communicators or really good at building relationships and, and bringing together teams. Um, and when you become that person, and when people know that you are that person, they're gonna seek you out. You're gonna get pulled into projects, you're gonna quickly rise up because um, those are things that we need in healthcare. We need improvers, we need fixers, we need uh, people who are really excited about this work and do it excellent, uh, do it uh, with great skill. Um, and so that's just, uh, those are a couple of ways to kind of create your own experience um, to progress through, through the organization. I'm taking notes as we go along. So be bold and know yourself and know the value that you can offer. I think that's such great advice. And if you don't ask, the answer will always be no. So what's the worst thing that you can do? And I think, uh, you know, David, I've really appreciated the time that you've spent with me and the insights that you've provided into your role. Um, It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. So thank you again for being here. Thank you. And what a tremendous resource this is for everyone listening. And um, it's it's great to see you again. And um, (laughs) it's fun to talk through all this. Thank you so much for being here and for listening to this episode. If this is your first time here, welcome. Please click on the subscribe button wherever you're listening. And if you enjoyed the episode, please be sure to leave a rating or review of the part you enjoyed the most. I look forward to meeting you all back here soon.